On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Friday's announcement from the provincial government and politics and politicians and partisanship in general. Lots of blame to be spread around. Who deserves it? We're going to talk about naked politicians and canceling student debt and privilege and underprivilege and capitalism and Olympic uniforms and so many other things. Stick around. Love to have you. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. He's not the devil. I mean, he's devilish at times. He might tell you he's devilishly good looking. I don't think he's the devil though. What he is, is the host of the Jamie West show on Saturday mornings and the executive producer of this show, the Scott Radley show. And his name remarkably, coincidentally, since he is the host of the Jamie West show is Jamie West. How are you? You forgot to mention that I'm also the president of the Let's Run Doug Ford out of the province on a rail fan club. Are you? Yes, I am. Are you? I'm why is that? The, why? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to ask me that question? Well, I'll, I'm going to let you answer that, and then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, but go ahead. Why? Okay. So we have the worst, we have the worst leader that we could have ever dreamt up talk about devilish things i mean this guy is the devil literally we have the worst premier in the province of ontario in our province's history the worst the worst he's a he's a wartime premier who doesn't know how to lead who doesn't know how to tell the truth all he does is lie just like the devil so there you go that's what i'm starting with tonight Go ahead. Well, bring, bring you know what? We, we, thing in. Bring the truth. No, well, I, I know. I, I will because I, I think, no, because I think this is, I mean, obviously go on Twitter right now because Doug Ford just had his press conference and Doug Ford is getting hammered and, and here as well. Um, I, I, you know, I think that we got to go back to Ronald Reagan's old line from once upon a time when he said, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is not a partisan thing, I don't think. I think governments, if you look, numbers are rising all across the country in provinces, whether they're liberal, conservative, or whatever else. I think our federal government has done a disastrous job. I think our, our, our provincial government has not acquitted itself all that well in a lot of ways. I, I think there oh, is failings in government everywhere. You're being soft What's that? in the province, but you're being harsh on the feds. I agree with no. you. The feds, the feds dropped the ball completely. On, on the acquisition of vaccines. There's no question about that. And, and history is not going to be kind to them at all. That's a complete mess up. No question about that. But they've been good in a lot of other ways. This provincial government in Ontario has been a disaster through and through and through and through. They get and no see, pass I, I, on anything. And, and Jamie, look, I'm not giving them a pass. I, I'm saying that governments everywhere have shown themselves to not be capable of handling big projects anymore. And I'm counting this as a big project. This is an enormous project. I, I, I think that there are things that the Ford government has done that I've looked at and I've said, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think that's a drop ball. But I look at the, that the, the federal government as well, and you're right about the vaccines, but also not shutting the airports and about giving away Absolutely. millions of PPEs at the beginning and at the beginning uh, saying, don't wear a mask because that could be more dangerous and saying we should let people come in flights from China because that would be racist not to. And so the, the mistakes and the screw ups are in every government everywhere in this. And again, it goes to my point. I think Ronald Reagan was right that we look to government for solutions. 
And I'm not trying to be an anarchist here and say abolish all government, but I'm saying we're putting too much faith in our leaders, our political leaders, to solve problems that they are not capable of solving. I don't disagree with you on, on that in a broad sense. I really don't disagree with you at all on that. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the Liberals or the NDP in Ontario uh, could have done a better, a, a better job. All, all I'm saying is we have the government that we have at a time when we have you know, a hundred year pandemic going on. So that's, that's the, that's what we have to focus on. We have to focus on, on that. Yeah. Listen, every Saturday morning I go on and I tell people, stop listening to the government. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. You've got to educate yourself, go to the science, go to the medical uh, information, and then govern yourself and your family accordingly. So you and I are philosophically not that far, far apart. I am just, I'm just viscerally disgusted and embarrassed that we have a guy like Doug Ford, who is the premier of the province of Ontario at a time like this, standing up day in and day out, unable, unable to take responsibility for his own lack of leadership so that he can cover his own ass and get him try to get himself elected again. It's about the politics, and, and that's the and, problem. And, and Jamie, you know what? And look, I think there's an awful lot of people who would agree with you, but everything you just said changed Doug Ford to Justin Trudeau about standing up and not taking responsibility and blaming others. It's all politicians are doing it. Justin Trudeau has been given, I think, largely, in especially in this area, because we tend to be a more liberal Southern Ontario area, has been given largely a pass. And he has been a magnificent failure, as in a lot of ways has Doug Ford, as has everybody, as has everybody. I don't believe this is a partisan thing anymore, even though it's often portrayed that way. We've got to take a break here. But again, I think what this has shown is that we look to government to solve our problems, and it is not capable of solving those problems. Yeah, and, and I know we got to go to a break, but then the next question, and I know I should get my own show because this is your show. Next question. <laughs> Set up the question and we'll come back and talk about it after. Okay, all right. Oh, well, yeah. No, so tell I was going to say, what, what that says is, what, do, what does it say about us? What does it say about us and our lackadaisical attitude about how we vote in this country? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We got into it so fast. I never properly, I don't think, got to introduce my guests because we just got going. Jamie West, as I say, has his own show, the Jamie West Show. I mentioned that off the top. Uh, also, a, a longtime legendary broadcaster in the city and a guy we love to have on the show for the reasons that he does bring opinions, and that's good. We love that. And, Jamie, just before the break, yeah, you asked the question, what does it say about our voting and our lackadaisical apathy towards voting often when we then turn around and complain about whoever is in in office. Right. And I'll let you answer that your own question, but I think it says an awful lot about that. Oh yeah, for sure it does. I mean, you know, this is, this is one of those rare, <laughs> I would say this is probably the strongest political learning moment or voter engagement moment that any of us will ever have in our lifetimes because this is when the chickens come home to roost. This is, this is what happens when you, you know, you spend the first 30 years of your voting life or maybe your whole life uh, really ignoring who the people are that you're voting for and what they're about and what they believe. Uh, Because when you don't pay attention, you end up 
with guys like Doug Ford running the province. Or take your side, you end up with guys like Justin Trudeau leading the nation. It's the same. It's the same argument. Um, you know, this is where what, 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 think of any cliche you want. You know, separate the wheat from the chaff, the men from the boys, whatever you want to. You know, le- this is where leaders have the chance to lead, and um, this is not happening. So there's a lesson to be learned here about engagement in in how we view our candidates. And more fair, importantly, yeah. the candidates' leadership itself. Sorry, I was wrong. Fair enough. No, no. And, and I think, you know, to your point, yes, you look at municipal elections and the results are brutal as far as turnout and yeah. and whatever else. But I think it goes even beyond pure numbers of how many people show up. Because you might get 65 or 70% of people voting in a federal or provincial election. But look at the electoral map. And what you see is you can, for the most part, predict what color the electoral map is going to be election to election. So you may vote, you may with your feet walk into the voting place, but you have decided on who you're voting for before a leader has ever opened their mouth. So a leader of either side could say the most outrageous things, doesn't matter, you are voting for that person. So when I talk about apathy, it's not just apathy as far as not voting, it's far as not being engaged and being an automaton and voting for somebody regardless, because just because they are of that party. And, and that doesn't help more. anything either. Yeah, I couldn't, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. There are, there are, uh, you know, there are examples to me of people that sit in other parties who traditionally I wouldn't vote for that party, but that person, um, to me is would make a better leader um that person to me would i feel might have a more open mind to work with the other parties and i mean that's that's part of the deal too is the polarization of of politics like we've got to get everybody back more into the middle ground to yes to start working yes. some of this stuff out because things are really off the rails and well and it's been said Jamie, let me bring it back. It's not about COVID. It's about things in general, but it's been said right. by people way smarter than me. The, po- the thing has been pointed out that, you know, there has not been an NDP federal government ever, and there has been one NDP provincial government, and yet parts of Hamilton vote NDP every single time, no matter what. And it's been, as I say, it's been pointed out by people smarter than me. Is it any wonder that sometimes this city doesn't get the handouts and the money and the things that other places get when we so rarely in certain places elect people in the government. We know that's how it works to get stuff. You know that's how it works. And yet every time, doesn't matter who the candidates are, we vote a certain way. I'm not against voting NDP. If you want to vote NDP, that's fine. But (laughs) sometimes you have to look at the party or look at the person and say, maybe there's someone else. And maybe this is a time to vote NDP, maybe this is a time to vote liberal, maybe this is a time to vote conservative if we want things in our city. But it all goes back to my point. I'm not saying don't vote NDP. That's you Vote whoever you want. Just understand that you should be thinking as opposed to just having a party stamped on your forehead as a kid and never change no matter what. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that what, in my view, what we need to be doing much more often is really taking a much closer look at the person that is standing up for office, the person who is, uh, who is running. I mean, parties uh, do, you know, they play politics within themselves. As you know, that's how you end up with a, with a moron like Doug Ford 
at the in the premier's chair in Ontario because the politics get played. Patrick Brown gets, uh, you know, gets flushed out on some cockamamie me too thing, and then uh, and then Ford ends up taking the the leadership role because, as you said, they know he's got a mob of people that are going to vote for him. They're 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 putting him in there. They they're holding their nose making a guy like Ford the leader of their party simply to, you know, basically sell themselves out to get his followers to come in and vote. That's what it's about. Answer, and I think that's Answer wrong. me this. Answer me this. Who is the politician of any level? We'll leave out municipal for right now. Provincial or federal? Who is the politician right now in this country that you look at and say, that is the man or woman that is the absolute peak of what we want our politicians to be. I can't think of the one right now. I think the premier of Manitoba is a, is a, is a, a, a good example. I think that, um, believe it or not, if, I, I can't stand her, her politics, but Andrea Horvath, I think, is a fine person. I think she would make a, I don't know if she would make a great premier or a, a prime minister. She would certainly, I think she'd make a great mayor. Um, Which I think she probably will be someday. Yep, and and the the only you know what when you say that those those are the only two that jump to mind who are living. But believe it or not, a guy that's not living, and I know you didn't ask me that, but Jack Layton would have been a tremendous premier or prime minister. I really believe that. I believe he was a guy, even though he was left, he was a guy that could have worked with people, and I think he he got it more across party lines. Maybe. I, we got we to take a break. I, I mean, one of the problems that I have with the Jack Layton idea, not that he wasn't a, he seems like he was a wonderful person, but I always think that people who have basically no chance of winning, which I really don't think he really ever had a chance of winning, it's very easy to be the, the person who can promise everything because you never are going to have to deliver it. And, you, might have a point. you know, so, you know, put the, put this person, look at Bob Ray. When Bob Ray won, Bob Ray was, when he won as NDP leader, he was the guy who was going to do everything for everyone. And within a year or two, the teachers hated him and then the public servants hated him for Ray days. And suddenly everything was a mess. When you finally have power, suddenly things aren't quite so rosy. Anyway, let's but take a break. Back after, uh, sorry, okay. go ahead very quickly. 20 no, seconds. No, I was just going to say, but, 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 but th- these people had some, these people had some class and some integrity, and Doug Ford doesn't have any of those things. Go to the break. <laughs> I will let you have the last word on that, <laughs> Just, Justin Trudeau. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We'll come back to politics in a few minutes, but I want to change tack a little bit here because I, I, I saw something. Well, I've seen a bunch of things over the last number of days, and you're a father. You have kids, so you and, and many people listening will be parents. I've seen a number of things recently, and you've seen it too, I'm sure, where kids, people, maybe not adults now, but adults who were kids who came from backgrounds that may have had money, their parents may have had money, they're privileged kids potentially, that's how it's seen. They are now, it's almost a disadvantage in the public sector now, the public sphere, better word, if you came from a background of privilege, there's something more earthy about having to claw your way up and all that kind of stuff. You never hear a politician say, I went to a private school because my parents wanted me to get ahead. So here's my question. If you are a parent who has worked hard and is doing well in life and you decide you are going to do your best to give your kids some advantages to get them ahead in life, 
knowing that they may be criticized for having those advantages later, are you actually hurting your kids by trying to help them? Absolutely not. I mean, you've, you're doing exactly the right thing. You are, you know, that's what, that's what the deal is. You, you work hard, you, uh, gather resources, you, uh, expend resources on the things that I guess are your priorities in life. And if, and if you're, uh, if you're a parent that's resourced, why, why would you do anything else just because somebody would criticize you? I mean, that, that's, you also have to learn in life to put up with criticism from well but what person in the in the public not the public sector i don't mean like a public servant but in the public sphere someone who is well known what person stands up and says i'd like you know it was really great that my parents put me in private school or gave me private tutors or all no one ever talks about that no one says i'd like to thank my parents for working really hard to give me advantages what they always say is my parents clawed their way up from the, I clawed my way up. It's a, it's a point of pride oh, I see. that you came from nothing as opposed to a point of pride to say my parents worked really hard and did really well. And therefore I was able to be where I am because they helped me. We never hear that. And when you, if you ever did, people would go, you're spoiled. You're that song we played coming in. You're a silver spoon. You don't deserve anything. It's oh, almost yeah. a negative now. So you have to you have to be shame. It's a shame that you would yes. carry with you for yes. having having attended private schools and being and you know having been given financial advantages or whatever finance fancy gifts or whatever. Right. Like that's. I've been looking at this, thinking: Are we hurting? If you if you're in that position, if you're one of the people listening who's in that position, are you are you kind of hurting your kids by helping your kids? I don't think so, but that's a but that seems to be where it is now. I don't I, I don't think so either. I mean, it, it all depends on th- those are all the things that people would see on the outside that you would you know in, in your example or your explanation of this, you presumably might want to to hide because it's not in in fashion that you're quote silver spoon fed or that you had these advantages. It's much more woke to be you know, to be from the disadvantaged wrong side of the tracks and tell the story that, you know, your parents climbed from the wrong side of the tracks or whatever, the rough side of the tracks to get to where they are and so on and so forth. I think it all depends on what conversations are happening. And this is the important thing, the conversations that are happening in that family. I think it's more about what are those parents who are advantaged in this case saying to the youngster, as the youngsters growing up, what lessons are they imparting onto that youngster about the privilege? It's the conversation about the privilege, I think, that's important. I think it's incumbent upon people that have those advantages, and I've no, I'm not in their living rooms, so I don't know what they're saying, but I think it's incumbent. If I had that, if I had all of those advantages, um, I would be having a conversation ongoing with my children as they grew up at different points along the way to make sure that they understood that they were privileged and that there was a requirement for them to return some of that to people who are less fortunate and, uh, and give back that, that those are the kinds of important conversations that happen. What everybody else thinks of it couldn't care less. 
I, I agree. I, uh, as I say, this this thought came to me. We got to go to a break here, but it, it came to me because I thought if you had two people applying or interviewing for the same job, I don't know what job. Pick your job, and the person doing the interviewing here's one person whose parents were very successful and helped to guide them through, yes. and the other one who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, as they say. I'm willing to bet you that nine times out of ten, the interviewer is going to say that person is inspiring. I'm going to take them. And it just, it led me to wonder about this whole idea. We all want to be successful and we all want to do the best things for our kids. And given the opportunity, we would all want to help our kids. And yet I wonder if it gets spun so that somehow later on, it's almost a regretful thing that you helped your kids because now they're going to pay for it somehow. Anyway. I think, I think, so, if, you're the job inter- I think if you're the job interviewer, you're going to, it doesn't matter what they look like on paper and what their stats are in terms of privilege. I think you're going to judge them by how they do in the interview. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jamie, story this week that we learned about that, uh, I mean, people want, now, this is on pause for the next little while because of what's happening, but campsites are apparently in very high demand at Ontario public campgrounds and I guess private campgrounds as well these days. And what we're learning is that a number of people who have booked campsites are now selling them on Kijiji or other places for up to five times the face value. And some people are saying, this should not be allowed. You should not be allowed to scalp and sell these campgrounds for more than the face value. That's unfair. So is this unfair or is this simply being smart and seeing that the supply, the demand exceeds the supply and making a good business decision? Yeah, I think it's the latter. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's it's the way it is. It's it's a, it's a byproduct of the circumstances that we're in, and and if that's what you want to do, why shouldn't you be able to do it? It's a capitalist society. You're right. It's supply and demand, and uh, if people are willing to pay you that rate that you're setting as part of the market, then fine and dandy. It's no different than the the ticket uh, argument, the concert ticket argument. You know, it's the same yeah. same principle. I don't have a I don't have a problem problem with with people doing that. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't pay that, but I wouldn't go camping either. So what do I know? Well, okay, so you know, back in the uh, it was a couple of years ago now. You probably remember the story. There was a guy who owned a company that sold, I think it was insulin or diabetic medication, and he like cranked or was it cancer? I can't remember now, but some medication, and he he got all kinds of infamy because he jacked the prices through the roof. That to me is very different. If you've got something yeah. that is a life or death thing, it's a very different thing for me than a choice or an, a leisure activity like a concert ticket or a campground. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm going, wait a second. The people who are complaining saying camping is not just for the wealthy. No, it's not just for the wealthy, but they bought it and now they realize that there is a demand. And I, I you know, this is how. This is how this stuff works. Supply and demand. That's what this is. I, I, I fail to see the worthiness of the complaint, honestly. It's just whining. It's, it's just whining and, it, and it's uh, born out of, out of a frustration that people have, uh, I guess, coming through a, a pandemic and they want to get out and do their thing. And I get all of that. But, but no, I mean, it's still the same, the same thing. I fully agree with you, by the way, on the, you know, scalping for diabetes meds. Or meds That's very different. Kind. It's a totally different argument. Um, 
but no camp campsites concert tickets um whatever it is uh along those lines anything to do with leisure that's not you know it's not life and death not essential don't get me started on the whole essential businesses thing i'll go nuts um, no but is this is what we're talking about not exactly, because again, this is being made into something like, again, people are squeezing the poor out of an opportunity. Is this not exactly what every single store in the world does? It buys a product yeah. from a producer and then it increases the price and sells it to you. That's that's what we've been doing for hundreds Never. of years, unless you go directly to the farmer or directly to the manufacturer and buy it at a wholesale price. That's what we do with every product. Oh, let's look at how parents um, uh, do their thing at, uh, at Christmas time. Think of the Cabbage Patch doll. Uh, thing back <laughs> Tickle in the me day. Elmo. Tickle me Elmo. There's another fine example, right? People will... You know, the thing that, I don't know, so we'll say it's sold for 20 bucks regular retail suddenly is a $200 item. Um, but people will pay it because they have to know, some people, that they put that thing under the tree and that their kid got it on Christmas morning and that, that it is worth it to them. It's worth the, you know, the great big uh, scalped price to to be able to clear that one off their list. So it all depends on what's, I guess, important to you or not. What um, I find so funny about this particular story, because again, this is being portrayed as a, as an attack against the poor, which I, I reject that uh, in this particular case. And here's why a uh, campground, what, what value does a public campsite for a particular weekend actually have? What does that cost the government anyway? Zero. Yeah, it cost the government there. zero. So whatever price they had set in the first place of say a hundred dollars for the weekend, that's already a markup of a hundred dollars over what the actual value of this space that you are going to use is. Yeah. And so and you're you already, but no one complains about that, but it's already that like from the beginning, it's that. A hundred percent. And you know what? I got news for you. It's not, it's, it, 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 I got news for you. Camping is not the bailiwick of the poor. It is go around to some campground sometime or at private or public and yes. take a look at what you see. You see a lot of people with a lot of disposable income, quite frankly. Yeah, camping, there's a big, there's a big difference between camping and living rough or homelessness, which some people I think sometimes exactly. may think they are the same thing. It's, it's, you're right. Vastly, vastly, vastly different. People roll into campgrounds now and they unload thousands of dollars of equipment off the back of the SUV. They do. That's exactly right. And some of them pull in with, with fancy, um, self-contained, uh, you know, what do you call them? Uh, I don't know what they call them, the uh, recreational vehicle things with pop-outs and TVs and satellite dishes and queen-size beds and all that kind of stuff, you know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You, I'm sure, along with everyone else, saw the story this week about William Amos, the liberal uh, representative of Pontiac, the Quebec riding, who had the unfortunate situation of taking a little stroll around his office, um, au gratin, is that the right word? In the skivvies, um, and got caught in a political meeting, in a, you know, a, a parliamentary Zoom meeting, 
um, totally in the buff, which the picture got grabbed and then sent out. And now, I mean, this is a huge thing because half the people are saying this is hilarious and half the people are saying the man has been violated and people should be charged. Where you know, here's the thing. I do feel, I do feel somewhat torn on this because I do feel it is kind of cold to be taking a screen grab and sending that out. On the other hand, he is an adult. He is a parliamentarian. Surely by now you know that if you are in a meeting, even if you in a video meeting, a, a computer meeting, even if you think your camera is off, always assume that the camera is on and don't be naked in front of it. I mean, is that an unrealistic expectation in 2021? No, it isn't an unrealistic expectation. In fact, that's exactly the point is, um, I mean, in our business, uh, you know, if, if it, I, you always assume the microphone's on. Uh, like, it, the way we're set up, just to let people who are listening know, you and I, really, we don't have control of our microphones. The, the Ben back at the station actually has control of our microphones. So we have to assume, even when we're in a commercial break, that the mic's on. I mean, when you're you're doing yours, you're doing your show from a remote location, and and I do mine from a remote location. But when we're when we're in the studio at CHML, yeah, we've got mic on and off buttons. But the cardinal rule is you always assume that that microphone's on, even if you've clicked it and it says it's off. You just you always assume that the mic is on, and and it's the same thing with the TV camera. And 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 this guy, he needed it. Look at it. It's simple as this. Personal responsibility. It was dumb of him to to not make that assumption, and it was dumb of him to do what he was doing in front of his computer because he should have known better. Sorry. It, no, I, 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 here's the thing. I agree with you wholeheartedly that this seems like one of those moments. And look, who, who, what was the guy's name? Um, the CNN legal, Jeffrey Tubin. So yeah. Jeffrey Tubin got caught doing something inappropriate in front in a meeting in a because this was not a public parliamentary meeting this was a, a a closed meeting and someone grabbed it but the Jeffrey Tubin thing was not a public meeting it was a private thing and yet that got told to everybody and I don't think anyone at the time said oh man poor Jeffrey Tubin how was his privacy violated but somehow if it's a politician we say oh his privacy is violated look no your responsibility is yours. And I do feel badly because I can see how you can make a mistake. And it was kind of on the one hand, cold of someone to take a screen grab and let people know about it. But to say now we want to have an investigation and have the person charged potentially criminally with releasing this, you know what? The guy should say, I screwed up. I made a mistake. My responsibility. I blew it. Let's move along. Well, and the and the idiot that uh, took the screenshot, or idiots that took the screenshot, and are trying to use it to some sort of personal or political advantage, they they it says more about them than it does about the guy who actually uh, showed up without pants on in front of his computer. To be honest, I mean, you know, that speaks hugely to uh, to their own moral compass, and uh, you know, I think that that stuff eventually finds its way back to you if you want to. If you engage in that kind of nonsense, then you can expect the universe to take care of you. Now, that said, what would have happened 
if rather than a male member of parliament who uh, emphasis yeah. on member of parliament who um ha- who <laughs> happened to come back after a jog what if it was a female member of parliament who did this and a screen grab was sent out would the reaction be different totally different you know why why because um because politically it just it, it would be um culturally it would be we're in a, we're in a we're at a time and a place where um you know for justified reasons, um, we're we're at a, a, a crossroads—not a crossroads. We're at a point in time where uh, women, uh, rightfully so, are finally standing up for the injustices that they've suffered over the years. And so, there would be a different there would be a different reaction. Are you? I, I'm I'm assuming the position of the person taking the screenshot. Are you talking about? A woman, you're talking about a woman showing up without pants on in front no, of No, I'm saying if, if a woman had been naked and they had taken a screenshot and that had been released, would people have freaked out more? And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yes, they would have freaked out a lot more about it. I'm, you know, and I understand the Me Too movement. And uh, look, I, I just, I think that if we say, which I agree with, I think if we say that a male member of parliament who did something stupid by standing in front of his computer screen with what we just said, where you have to expect that the camera is on. Is it patronizing then to say, but a woman, that's a different story. Then if a woman does it, we have to be much more kind and not, you know, she shouldn't be expected to have this. Look, I, if we're going to say it for one, I don't know how you don't say it for the other. That could mean, that could mean that our, that our argument changes, but I don't know that it's, I mean, why would it be different? I think it is, but I don't know why exactly, or well, I'm wondering why. Stu- it's equally stupid. It's equally stupid. Let's put it that way. I mean, it, yeah, if, 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 a, if a female MP did what he did, she'd be equally as dumb as he, he is for assuming that the camera wasn't on her, that she wouldn't be seen, and that, you know, to, to appear without pants on in front of her, her computer camera. As I say in this one, we got to run. We got to take a break for the news here. As I say, I'm I'm very torn on this one because I don't love the idea at all of someone sending out this picture. I think, as I say, that's cold and I that's, that's mean. Terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. It is. At the other side, it is re- remarkably stupid that this experienced adult, again, we're yeah. not talking about a 12-year-old, we're talking about an adult, was dumb enough to do this. And, you know, um, it's, uh, once again, let's hope, and we've said this a million times, let's hope somebody learns some lessons from this and that this for the next few months will at least until the next mistake, uh, will cause everyone to remember that there are cameras on our computers and you probably shouldn't walk around naked in front of them or other stuff. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me get back to James. Ernest West. I don't know if that's his middle name, but uh, for today it is. He's being very earnest today, but he's great points, great discussion so far. And Jamie, I got something silly-ish, or not silly-ish, but lighter that I want to get to in just a minute. But first, one more thing I want to ask you about. We couldn't get it in last hour. Let's get to this. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a few days. Uh, You're the perfect guy to talk about it with. Plus, we've got a federal budget coming out that We don't know if it's going to show up in here. It's the idea that it's been bandied about in the States and then the NDP at their convention talked about this and voted on it as a platform. And now we're wondering if we're going to see it in the budget. Is it a good idea for a federal government to cancel 
students' university debt? Wow, it's a tough one, even for somebody like me who thinks he knows everything and has an answer for everything. Um, that's a that's 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 a tough one. It really is. Um, I, I don't know as I don't know as canceling it is the right way to go. I I think that maybe there could be a way that you could reduce it somehow based on some kind of, I don't want to overcomplicate things, but some kind of criteria that would show whether or not you've, you're using the education, if you know what that, I mean. No, that's a, that's a good point. Absolutely. I think if you're, I think if you're showing that if you're not living in your mother's, mother's basement playing video games, how do you, how do you, how do you prove this? I don't know. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I look at this thing, and I'll, I'll I'll jump in for a second here because the NDP, I believe, what they voted on at their convention was they would cancel up to twenty thousand dollars in student loan debt. And I'll tell you the problem I have with this, and I'm not unsympathetic to students who are you know swimming in debt after university. And there's a second point here. The first one is, I think it becomes wildly unfair to all the thousands of students over the past number of years who have worked three or four or five jobs and sacrificed and done all these things to pay off their student debt to then all of a sudden have the government say, well, people now, now, you know, it's fine. That makes the people who work to pay this off and grinded it out to get rid of their debt. It makes them look like fools for working so hard and sacrificing. And I think that would be totally unfair to them. Can't argue against that point. The second point of this is, I think that we're, like so many other things, we're trying to deal with the symptom rather than the root cause here. And the root cause, and we just saw Laurentian University is basically going into receivership. I mean, it's having all kinds of problems, cuts all over the place. We have created a system in our higher education world where university costs so much. We pay everyone on campus extraordinary amounts of money, and then we charge extraordinary amounts of money, and we have made it this, this you know, you want to go to a good school, you are going to pay a ridiculous amount of money for this. And if you're, you know, rather than saying we're going to forgive all these debts, how about we go the other way and say, hey, we're going to start telling some of the people who are the reason we have to pay these high tuitions, we're going to try cutting your pay, cutting your costs, cutting whatever, finding ways to save money so we can then bring the tuitions down a bit. But we don't want to do that. That's another, that's another really good point. And, and there's probably a third overriding discussion or examination that needs to happen. And I'm sure you've already thought of it. And that is who's going to university? And why? Everybody. Right. And that's a problem because not everybody should be going to university. And I think that university has almost become a societal right if, in, yes. in a sense. It's um, heresy. It's heresy what you're saying, but you're right. I mean, if you were to, if you were to go public, well, you are going public, but I mean, <laughs> if a politician was to say, we believe that many of you should not go to university, you would immediately be accused of wild elitism. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the fear, isn't it? Um, but we're not, we're not going to know unless we start saying it. And it's time that it's, it was said because 
um, the universities are cranking out all kinds of people, as you pointed out at the beginning of this discussion, who are deeply in debt, who didn't really pick up what they were there to learn or apply it when they got out. So I don't, you know, that's not what people go into it for. They go into it thinking they'll get an education, they'll come out with an education, they'll, you know, use that either as a, as an entrepreneur or, or uh, you know, work for somebody else, what have you. And in an awful lot of cases, people are ending up in their mother's basement playing video games or father's basement. Well, a big part of this, and, and it's to your point, is we now have, I'll call it educational inflation, where once upon a time, let's say, and I don't want to do the good old days thing, I'm not doing that, but 40, 50 years ago, if you got a university degree, you were ready to go into the working world as someone who had a good, you, you were one of the people who was educated and ready to go. Now, because almost everybody, it seems, gets that, you have to have two or three degrees before right. you can get to the same point, which is why we're now having students who are so buried in student debt because they've had to pay for their BA or whatever, their undergrad, their master's, and in some cases their PhD. And then no wonder you've got this amount of debt. If you had, now here's the, here's the heretical part of it. If you had half the number of people in this country going to university and you redirected the others to go into a trade or to go into things that are valuable, no shame, yeah, well-paying. Yeah, yeah abs- there's no shame in that, but we seem to make it that. You, your kid says, I want to be a plumber. There are people who will go, oh, he must be a dummy. No, he's no dummy. He's going to make a ton of dough and he's got a job that everybody needs. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm entrepreneurial. You're entrepreneurial too. I mean, I know, you, you know, you... Your your work in radio is largely on. It is it's totally entrepreneurial. Um, listen, uh, yeah, it's it, there is no shame in any of that um, because you're out there making a living. You're, you're quite right. The whole university trip has become this this elitist uh, thing, and it's funny because for the longest time, and I think the pendulum's swinging the other way now. Employers wouldn't even look at a kid who didn't at least have a BA. Um, they wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to get in job interview without a BA. Nope. And so that's why a lot of people went, a lot of parents sent their kids and kids went to, to university because they thought, well, I got to at least get a BA or I won't, I'll never get a job interview. And that was the sole reason that they went, it, it, you know, and then they come out and some of them are still illiterate when they come out, uh, with a BA, they don't have, they can't speak. They have no, <laughs> they have no social skills. They have, you know. None of the things that you need to actually make it in, in the world. Um, there's some of them come out super, super book smart. They become lawyers. They become doctors. That's all great. Um, I'm all for that. Uh, or scientists or what have you. But an awful lot don't. An awful lot just, just uh, you know, come out and that's it. They get spit out and they end up with all this debt. And then somewhere down the line, guys like you and I and others pay the price for that in one way or another. To- we talked to the author of a book about university life and that kind of thing earlier this week because there were stories coming out of England where a number of universities there have been instructed, professors and teaching assistants, not to grade people down for bad spelling or bad grammar because huh. that would be elitist and colonialist. That's and, insane. And, and I'm looking going, but this is just indicative to me. And it hasn't happened here yet and hopefully it doesn't. But, you know, if it's starting there, it'll it'll make its way over, I'm sure. 
the problem is universities in so much in so many ways have become corporate it's not necessary it's not about we're just going to get the best the very best people into our university to train them now it's we got to get everybody possible because their tuitions pay for development or pay right. for infrastructure yeah, or pay customers. for professors they are customers that has yeah. changed what university is about dramatically in my opinion well it, it, it absolutely has and and again i i always go to the to the higher societal attitude problem, you know, you gave the example of, uh, you know, not taking off marks for spelling and grammar, et cetera, on a, on a paper that you would write, no matter what your university course is. That's, that's ludicrous. This notion, this idea that we cannot and should not ask more of ourselves as human beings and ask more of our, of our students and the people that work with us and for us and so on and so forth is insane. This this notion that we are we are somehow weak mentally, uh, physically as human beings, and that we're not up to the challenge of actually spelling a word correctly or learning proper grammar. That's just too tough. That's too much to ask uh, of somebody. Has anybody ever stopped to think recently that it's those very things? And I think about cursive writing in elementary school now, which isn't done, by the way how important those things are to a person's development of, of self-esteem and care. If you want to talk about self-esteem, then challenge people to live up to a better standard. And yeah, then we are, get, we're you know, de-evolving. We we're are. going the other way. And, and I look at, you know, one of the, one of the high points for me, one of the all time high points in civilization in my mind was the achievement of putting men on the moon and bringing them back to earth. I mean, I, I've, I've talked about this a bunch of times on the show. I, I, I can't think of a more incredible human achievement than that. Now imagine if today people were applying and you had to lower the standard because, well, certain things might be seen as elitist if we demand perfection here or whatever. You would never have got them back from the moon. You would never have got them to the moon. We demanded unfettered excellence in the people who were in that program and didn't come up with any excuses. And, and I think we are de-evolving. We're, we're, we're stupiding ourselves down by giving ourselves excuses and reasons not to be excellent. And we asked those people to take risks and we, we asked, we asked them to be courageous and brave. And guess what happened? People stepped up. And they were all of those things. Try, try to admit, never mind being the astronaut in the capsule. That's plenty brave, courageous, you know. But what about the guy at Mission Control? Yeah. Whose job it is to make sure that this operation goes right, that that button works properly, that that button works. What about, what about him with three, three lives up? You know, in the way that he's got to live with, if it goes wrong, he's right. got to live with that publicly. And, you know, if you ever watch, there's a, it's on, I think it's on either Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's Apollo 11. It's a documentary I've seen it. about the moon landing. Fantastic. Excellent. And a lot of stuff, the video and, and film we hadn't seen before. And for people who are old enough to remember the moon landing, you'll remember this if you haven't watched the documentary, but... 35 or 40 seconds before they touched down on the moon, they started getting all these error codes popping up. Yep. And Neil Armstrong is saying, you know, DW426 error. And you've got these people on at mission control who have to, in a split second with gas running out, decide is that important or is that not important? 
you can't be putting people in positions like that who go, oh, I'm, oh, I don't know, go for it. I don't know. You, no, you are asking excellence and you got excellence. And I believe that's because the expectations were so high. And I believe that when we lower the expectations, we're not helping ourselves. Dumping more, just simply dumping more people into university is not helping anybody. It's not. No, no, you, you're absolutely right. The devolving thing is a, is a great point that you make. You, you you get better, you get better by setting the bar higher, not lower. You get better by setting the bar higher. Ask any professional at, at anything, at anything, how they got good. They got good by being around people who were much better than they were. You know, professional athletes, you've written for years about professional athletes. You know that story. You get good by being around the people that are way better than you are. That's how yeah. you get better. Um, You're, uh, we, have, we have just a couple seconds here, a couple, a couple minutes, I guess. And so you've, just, you, you've been perfect with the segue because let, let's roll into the athlete thing just for a second as we close because okay. I said a little less important. Uh, I know you saw the pictures. The Canadian Olympic Committee came out with their Canadian Olympic uniforms for the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Um, for those who haven't seen the images, they are well, they look to be anyway, well-worn. This is what all of our elitist of elite athletes will wear marching into the opening ceremonies. Well-worn, kind of ground-down jean jackets spray painted with with graffiti on it and at the back it says canada and then it has it says tokyo although it's in that graffiti writing in tokyo actually looks like the word toxic as opposed to tokyo uh, are you a big fan of the canadian uniforms or again are we devolving here well i had to laugh because um anybody that knows me knows that i live in denim and and i love jean i love jean jackets and, and leather jackets so i'm a you know I love all of that stuff, uh, but th- these are just plain ugly. Like they're just, they're just ugly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe a jean jacket with a big Canadian red maple leaf on the back and something on the front that that's the same. But they're so it's the it's that whole graffiti uh, inner city looking grubby thing that I just don't think it has its place. I mean, I'd, I'd be it's. It, you know, I'm being subjective, but that's what we're here to do. It's, I think they look like crap. That's what I think. It, and now this, this is, I'm sure this is too extensive to be able to do this, but if they had had a group of artists to individualize each jacket, we're going to do each one by hand and there's, you know, 400 or whatever that are going. So we're going to do 400 and we're going to bang these out and each one's going to be a little different. That would have been kind of cool maybe, but I'm looking at this thinking, okay, we know what the countries look like when they walk in. And usually, I mean, look, there have been some really atrocious ones, not just Canada. Uh, our our uh, Olympic uniforms for the Calgary Olympics, for example, indescribably bad. I don't know who came up with those, but they were awful. These ones, I just think you're going to stand out as it's either going to look totally cool or it's going to look entirely like Canada just ran out of money, which I guess we did. Wow. <laughs> it, 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 looks, but... it, looks, it, it looks to me like they were trying to be cool. And when you're... And when you're tr- when it looks like you're trying to be cool, you're definitely not cool. That's but all. but isn't your point? I think is bang on. Ever since Vancouver, you are desperately trying to find the next red mittens. 
because the red mittens became the thing. Everybody had to have the red mittens. And I think everything now is about trying to find the next red mittens that everybody in the country thinks they have to have. I don't see 98% of people in the country wearing these, but maybe we're just old. No, no, it's, 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 it's just, it, it is what it is. Like, you know, less is more always when it comes to art and this is art and, you know, Canada has the, the beauty of having its, its colors are red and white and we have a big, beautiful maple leaf as our, as our national symbol. And, and the, there's beauty in the simplicity of all of that. So just keep working with that theme every year. It's strong. It's strong, it's traditional, it's what people expect to see when Canada walks in, they expect to see that big red maple leaf. I know it's on these jean jackets and, and stuff, but it's but the, there's too many distractions on it. Like, cut all that crap out and stick to just stick to the red and white, for crying out loud. Here's my prediction, because the Beijing Olympics, if we go, if we don't boycott, the Beijing Olympics are coming up in a year. If this is our Summer Olympic one, and we're going with the Canadian tuxedo, or at least half of it. <laughs> when Beijing comes and we're walking into the Winter Olympics, we're going to go with the Bob and Doug McKenzie parka and toque. <laughs> and, and we're going we're gonna to bring it right down, and we're going to say, yep, that's how they know us. And, and when they come in, that the entire like. Canadian contingent is going to go, and just uh, as a group. That now would that actually would be kind of fun. Canada together. I love that idea, actually. That would, I think that's great. Yep. Okay, Hudson Bay Company or Roots or whoever's doing them, I expect a payoff for that one, for that idea. That's my brilliant idea. And everyone's carrying a 2-4 of stubby bottles and back bacon. (laughs) I love it. Good. Jamie West, uh, you can hear him Saturday mornings on the Jamie West Show. Such an apt name for for your show. I don't know how you came up with it, but it's a great name. I really appreciate you doing this today. Thanks for the stimulating, vigorous conversation. Always love it when you disagree and when we can have a good go at it. (laughs) Thanks for doing this. It's always fun, always a slice. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.